This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com. Man, welcome to our second week of our fall campaign, Transformed. Aren't you excited about that theme? What a powerful message for us from God, that he indeed is a transforming God. As we reach out to him in faith, man, he connects back to us, and he does a transforming work in our lives. And we're so glad that you're here today. And uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at how God transforms us physically, and I am not an example of that. We are, there are other people we could use for that, but we're not really talking so much about how you look on the outside, but what God does for you and through you as you make commitments to him. So we're gonna be looking at Romans chapter 12 and verse number two as we talk about the subject of transformation again, where it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, as I read that scripture, it's such a powerful verse. I mean, you could just spend weeks and weeks and months and months just on that one verse and just dissect it. But for this morning, I, I wanted us to kind of look at, at four words that just, I think, need us to, to consider more deeply this morning where it says, let God transform you, the part that I underlined there. Let God transform you. And as I read that and just kind of meditated on that thought, let God transform you, two thoughts jumped to my mind as I thought about it. First of all, I think you need to know that God wants to transform you. Now, I dealt with this last week in detail, so I'm not going to go into it again as, as deeply, but I just don't want you to lose the power of that truth. As we're going through this, uh, this fall campaign, you've got to keep in mind God is a transforming God. And, and you might be facing some, some challenges right now, some issues that maybe even have caused you to think that God is unable to deal or to transform or to change the situation or unwilling to do it, whatever, to bring change or desire to change your life. And, and I want you to know that that verse is telling us that God still transforms people. He still transforms circumstances. He still transforms issues that we deal with. It might be a financial crisis that you're dealing with. It might be a, a medical issue that's, that's suddenly come upon you, uh, something in your family, something in your business, you know, and, and there are, are times we go through issues that these things can kind of, they can kind of build up on us and, and challenge us and almost like dare us to trust God, dare us to believe that God is a source or an answer for us. And if you're not careful, you can subtly begin to believe that, what you are facing is beyond God's ability or God's desire to transform. But Romans 12:2 is affirming very strongly that it is God's will to transform your life, to transform your situation. So don't lose your confidence in Jesus. I want to say that again. Do not lose your confidence in God, no matter what you're facing. Hebrews 10, 35, do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. And so at times when I go through struggles or tests of faith, 
and I am looking on the, 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 the dark side instead of on the sunny side, and I'm looking on the doubt side instead of the faith side, I am oftentimes remem- reminded of this verse, that there's great reward in confident trust in God. So you don't need confident trust when everything's going well and easy. You need confident trust when you're going through the dark time. So keep in mind, no matter what you're ha- what's happening in your life, what you're going through, if you will retain your belief that God wants to work, and he will work in your situation, there'll be great reward with that. Secondly, the, the second thought that came to me comes from just this little word, let. Paul says, let God transform you. Now, when you let something happen, it means that you agree to it happening. So if you're going to be transformed, you've got to let God do that. You've got to agree to that happening, and you have to get out of the way and let it happen. Now, in this particular verse, it's talking about let God, letting God transform you. So how do you do that? Well, the word transformed comes from a Greek word from which we get in English the word metamorphosis. And, and you, you can think back to school when we talked about that in school, about metamorphosis and what it is. Uh, metamorphosis really is describing, this is the definition of the word metamorphosis, it's a change from within. One of the songs we sang this morning talked about changing from within. So a, a caterpillar, it, it weaves a cocoon around its body, and, and a change, a metamorphosis begins to happen. A change from within begins to take place. That's the big metamorphosis example that they gave us in school, is the caterpillar. And, and somewhere around four weeks after it weaves this cocoon around itself, it, it changes. A butterfly emerges from what was once a worm. It's amazing. Now that's the word that Paul is using here to describe transformation. It's what happens to us when Jesus enters our lives. We are transformed. The Holy Spirit starts to to change us from the inside so that what we are after the transformation is taking place is almost nothing like we were before we started to be transformed. We are so different. And some of your friends are saying that to you. What has happened to you? Why are you so different? You're not like you used to be. That's transformation that God is bringing into your life. In fact, if they're not saying that, you might want to check up what's going on inside of you if, if transformation's really taking place. But Paul says here in Romans 2, or 12, 2, that you have got to let this happen. So don't fight this. Cooperate with God. Let the Holy Spirit have his way. Let him control your life and bring it to pass. Uh, I don't know what the, the caterpillar feels inside the cocoon, if it feels any of this happening or not. But when we give our lives to Christ, you're going to start feeling some changes begin to happen. Don't be afraid of that. Let it happen. Galatians 5.25 says, Now that you're living by the Holy Spirit's power, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And that's how you let God transform you into a new person. Now, last week I talked with with the church about how God transforms us spiritually and brings change to us spiritually. Today I want to talk with you about how God changes us physically. And, And the Bible says 
that each of us are made up of three parts. We talked about this last week. Spirit, soul, and body. And that we need to give the greatest attention to the spiritual side of us, which is our spirit and our soul. But that doesn't mean that our physical is unimportant. It is. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, that our bodies, the physical us, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I've always found that interesting. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. A lot of us think of our spirit being the temple or the dwelling place. Paul says here, our bodies are the temple. Our bodies become a temple unto God. So let me explain to you why that is the case. When Jesus died on the cross, there was a veil that was in the temple. Most of you are aware of that. It was in the Holy of Holies. And it separated the, holy, the most holy part of the temple where the presence of God dwelt from the rest of the community. And it, it, and, and it separated God from the people in, in close proximity and presence because the blood of animals could not truly cleanse the people from their sin. It couldn't transform their heart, not fully. The blood of the animals that were slain, that were offered in sacrifice, was a, a, an imperfect foreshadowing of the perfect that was to be completed through Jesus Christ on that cross. But when Jesus died, God's presence was now available with his people because his blood, the blood of Christ, not only brings forgiveness to us, but it brings transformation. It brings cleansing to our lives as well. So when God looks at you now as a believer, he sees not just a forgiven person, he sees a clean person. He sees a transformed person. That happens by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And because he died on the cross as a, as a sacrifice for our sin, as a perfect man, and he, had, he was the perfect sacrifice, he was able to cleanse and to forgive. So the veil that was existed in the temple was torn completely in two. And this was God saying, I was back there behind the veil before, but now I'm right here with you 24-7. Wow, what a statement. So now, if, if Christ is your Savior and your Lord, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Your body becomes a temple unto the Lord. It's the temple of God's spirit. So we don't need earthly temples anymore. They hearken back to an old covenant. The new covenant is you are the temple of God. We don't need to build temples anymore. Our bodies are God's temple on earth, and that means the physical you is important. So because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, how is it that we are to reflect the presence of God out of our lives? I want to just share three thoughts with you about how this affects us, how God changes us, and uses change to reflect his glory. First of all, you reflect God's spirit when you keep your body pure. You keep your body pure. I mentioned it earlier. Let's go back to it. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who lives in you and was given to you by God. 
you do not belong to yourself. Wow, that's a pretty powerful statement. In other words, he's saying that you have stewardship over your body, you do not have ownership over your body. Do you understand that? Do you understand the difference? You probably don't. Never thought about it. A steward has control of something, but he doesn't own it. And so if, uh, if you were to come up to me and say, Pastor Jim, I want to I use your car, and I give you the keys, and you take off with it, you are the steward of that car. You can, it's under your control. You can go as fast as you want, as slow as you want, turn here, turn there. I mean, I'm not with you. You do what you want. That's what a steward is. They have control. But I'm the owner of the car. And when you bring the car back, there's going to be a reckoning for what you did with the car. That's the idea we're talking about here. God is saying that you are not the owner of you. You are a steward of you. And you will give an account of how you have lived your life. And so in this particular portion of Scripture, God is calling upon his people to live lives of purity before God and before the world. In 1 Corinthians 6, not the whole chapter, but this particular section of it, Paul is talking about sexual purity. So when we're talking about purity, we're talking about sexual purity here. Let me just kind of review some of this with you, what he says. Verse 13, he's very pointed. He says, you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. I don't suppose there is a more relevant topic in 2016 than this subject of sexual purity. To me, from my perspective, we are living in the most sexually distorted and perverse time in our culture that I can remember. I don't think there has been a time, and I know we had the Roaring Twenties, and I, I lived through the, the sexual revolution of the 60s, but I don't think there has been a time in my lifetime when our culture has sanctioned immorality as normal and acceptable as we do today. The point is, we are living in a time where sexual guidelines and standards are all but gone. And, and in its place has risen a, a, uh, a sexual perversion that has been forced upon us in society through our educational system, through our government, through our advertising industry, and through our entertainment industry. And it bombards us constantly. And right in the middle of this swamp of sexual license, the Holy Spirit tells God's people, verse 18, run from sexual sin. The word run here comes from a Greek word that means to flee or to escape. And it's like a bird trying to escape from a snare. You know it's there. You know it's come in, and you know it's about got you. It's trying to escape. That's how we need to view sexual license and sin. It's a trap that we have to try to escape from, because if you don't, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, no other sin affects you as much as sexual sin does. Isn't that amazing? Well, how about murder? Paul says... Sexual sin perverts the inner you in a way no other sin does so completely. 
Now the reason God hates sexual sin so much is because the oneness that God ordained between a husband and a wife serve as a physical example of a spiritual oneness that is to take place between God and his people through Jesus Christ. So that's why sexual purity is under attack in America today. It's demonic. It comes right out of the pit of hell. Sexual sin is is pushed upon us from the powers of hell itself because sexual purity represents the oneness between God and his people. And anything that is pure, Satan is against. And so he's pushing this on American culture and probably the world. Now, God's word cautions us that sexual license can become a trap to absolutely anyone. So we are to run from it. We are to flee. Try to escape it. Do your best to escape this. In verse 15, Paul says that as believers, our bodies are united with Christ. They are one with Christ. And then in verse 17, he says, the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. That means, I want you to understand this, that believers are one with Christ. So whatever you do with your body, you are doing in union with Christ. He is there. Now, this goes beyond sexual sin. This goes into every area of our life. But Christ in union with us means that everything we do, every way we act, every thought we have that we don't bring under submission to Christ, Jesus is right there experiencing that. He's right there witnessing that. He's a part of whatever you and I are involved in. Now, Corinth, the city of Corinth, it was a Greek city, was one of the most sexually perverse cities of that day. You name it, they did it. And Paul knew that most of these Corinthian believers had come out of a lifestyle of sexual impurity. And so in verses 9 and 10, he, he lists a, he gives a list, and you can read that on your own, of, of actions, of activities, of, of things that you participate in that will keep you out of the kingdom of God. He says, people who do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. There's a list right there in verses 9 and 10 of 1 Corinthians 6. And then in verse number 11, he says, there was a time when some of you were just like that. In other words, you did it. But now your sins are washed away. You are set apart for God, and he has accepted you. So Paul says, I know that you used to be this way, but you're not that person anymore. So don't sell yourself out. Don't go back to it. Verse 20, he says, for God has, brought, has bought you with a great price, so use every part of your body to give glory back to God because he owns you. He owns you. You get it? You are his. Not too many amens today, but this is still good. <laughs> so now, the, so God puts this word from Paul to Corinth in the Bible. And he puts it in the Bible to let us know today that it's just as relevant in 2016 as it was to the first century church, living in a very perverse city called Corinth. The physical part of your being is important because God's spirit lives in you. He has made 
you holy, and you are to keep yourself holy unto him. Amen. Now, number two, you reflect God's spirit when you care for your body. Nowhere in God's word does it say this life has no value and, and that our physical bodies are to be ignored. What it does say is that we've got to keep it all in right order. We've already talked about that, that the spiritual is the greatest priority. But the physical also has, has, has importance. 1 Timothy 6, 8 says physical training is good. Uh, the King James says, um, I think it says physical training uh, profiteth little or something like that, or I, f I forgot, I should have looked it up, but it just comes to mind. And I used to love the way it said it because that gave me license to say, hey, I don't have to exercise. You know, profiteth little, well, why bother, your, bother with it? You know, I can become a, flat, a fat blob, you know, and God doesn't care. But that's not what Paul is saying. He says, physical training is good. That's a better rendering, by the way. It has value. But godliness, training in godliness is much better because it promises benefits in this life and in the life that has come. So uh, Timothy was the pastor of a church in the Greek city of Ephesus. So you remember the book of Ephesians? Timothy was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And so Paul told Timothy to teach his church to keep things in proper order. That's what he's doing here. It's always important to develop your spiritual life above your physical life because spiritual development will bless you in this world and in the world to come. That's what he is saying here. Now history tells us that Paul spent about three years in the city of Ephesus ministering there. And there was a great Colosseum in, in the city of Ephesus that seated about 100,000 people. And many of the Olympic games were held there from time to time. So sports were a big deal to the Ephesians. To some of them, sports were everything. And they were obsessed by sports. It was their obsession. The physical part was an obsession. Does that sound familiar? So Paul wanted to remind these believers that there is an order to the importance of things in life. If you want to live victoriously, the priority has to be your relationship with God, but that doesn't mean that your, your physical is unimportant. When the when spiritual is in proper order, everything else works properly, but your body is an important part of victory too, especially for your long-term usefulness to God. If your body fails you, then you will be limited in what you can do for the kingdom of God. So take care of it the best you can. Everyone will be limited to some degree if they, as they get old. If you get old, your body will, will fail. You'll be limited compared to what you used to do. But in other words, keep yourself in proper order uh, physically in order that you can be most useful to God for the longest amount of time. Now, when it comes to physical choices then that you make, how do you keep this in proper perspective? Well, I think it's good to answer three questions when you think about what you're going to do with your life physically. Number one, will what I'm doing honor God? Before I involve myself in that, ask yourself, will what I'm doing honor God? Will what you desire to do bring honor to God? Your body is the tool that God has given you to function on earth, so whatever you do needs to go through the filter of will this honor Jesus Christ? 
If you want to do something, ask yourself, will this honor God when I do this? Or does it only honor you? Does it only glorify you? And I don't want to get deep into this or anything, but uh, the, the seniors had a 50s theme uh, on, on uh, Wednesday at their, at their brunch. By the way, if you're, if you're a senior in that age group and you're not a part of that, you need to come and be a part. It's fantastic. But anyway, they had a 50s theme. And so when I went down, they had all these decorations and stuff from the 50s, and they had uh, this big picture of Elvis. First, I thought it was me. And then I, no, 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 that, that's Elvis over there. And, you know, now, I, I got to tell you truthfully, I was never a big Elvis fan. I'm still not. His music just didn't connect with me great, all right? But I know of it, and I loved Elvis. I loved him as a person, not his talent necessarily. But a lot of people just loved his talent and everything. And, and one of the things that grieves me about his death is the fact that he was raised in an Assembly of God church, just like this one. Went to First Assembly of God in Memphis, Tennessee, until he got involved in the music industry. And, and I was thinking when I was writing this message about Elvis and how he wasted an amazing gift that God gave him that could have been used for the honor and glory of God, but he used it for the honor and glory of Elvis, and it took him right down to the bottom. Now, I, I am trusting that when I step on heaven's shore that I'm gonna see Elvis there. You know why I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that may happen? Because God is so gracious that when he collapsed and then died a few minutes later, when he collapsed, I, I, I believe the Spirit of God spoke to his heart and everything he had been taught as a kid in that Assembly of God church came flooding back to his mind and he was able to make things right with God before he breathed his last breath. Now that's my hope and my prayer that that happened and that I'll get to see him. But when you think about anybody using talent for the world or for themselves, it's tragic because God gives you that talent and that ability, and you are required then to use it to honor the Lord. So you need to ask yourself, will this honor Christ? Number two, is what I'm doing motivated by love? If, if, what, you do, if what you want to do is selfish, then it isn't motivated by love. So if it's just gonna make you money or whatever, God gives us abilities to bless other people out of a heart of love. So if what you want to do brings blessing only to you, then it probably isn't good. God does bless people. He does bestow blessings on people, but the intention of those blessings is to help others, not just to heap unto yourself. 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, let love be your highest goal. When we love others, it will prioritize our lives and put them above our own selfish interests. Then thirdly, will doing this fulfill God's purpose for me? God's purpose for your life will always require faith. If what you are doing with your life doesn't require God's help, then you are probably living too low. Far, far in, inferior to what God wants you to be. You don't need faith to do something that's easy. God will lead you to something that will stretch you to doing that which will require faith. So if you're living in such a way that it doesn't require any faith, then I, I just want to suggest you're not living to God's best for your life. God wants to give you a dream 
that will challenge you, it'll stretch you, it'll probably scare you to death sometimes, so, so that by doing it, you can see that it is God doing it through you, and you will know that wasn't me, that was God. And that will do so much in building your faith. Proverbs 16.9 says, we plan the way we want to live, but only God makes us able to live it. And then when we live that way, we know, listen, this is what God has done through me. So live your, way in, live your life in such a way that people see Jesus in you and through you, coming out through you. Okay, number three, we reflect God's spirit when we learn to relax. In the Old Testament, God instituted what is called the Sabbath day of rest. In fact, he based it on his own actions during creation. Probably most of you know that. The Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth over six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. Now, I want to tell you, he didn't rest because he was tired. He didn't rest because he needed some downtime. He rested as an example for us. And he made the seventh day of the week, which is Saturday, a day of holiness to be refreshed and spiritually uh, and physically strengthened. Now, why do we worship on Sunday, which is the first day of the week and not the seventh? Because there are some churches that say we're going to hell because we worship on Sunday. I mean, they believe that, that we're actually lost because we worship on Sunday. The reason we worship on Sunday is because the early church worshiped on Sunday for two reasons. Number one, to separate themselves from the Jewish culture, but secondly, and because we're not under the law anymore, and secondly, because Christ rose on the first day of the week, and it was a way of honoring his resurrection. And that's the reason why the Christian church, 2,000 years ago, set up worship on Sunday. Uh, on Sunday. Now, Paul in, in Romans says it doesn't matter what day you worship on. It says, to one man, one day is, is holy. To another man, all days are the same. Just be convinced in your own mind. So we're convinced in our own mind we're going to heaven. I don't think we're going to hell because we're here today. I think Jesus is here with us. His presence is here, and he honors. But nonetheless, the, the Jews had that one day set apart as by God to be a time of refreshing spiritually and physically. I'll have to tell you that a few days ago, I, I, I was having a very stressful day. I was just, basically, I must admit, I was overcome by some issues that we're dealing with, and, and I was frustrated, probably a little ticked off. Um, ticked off, I, I don't know um, if, if a really holy guy like me can be ticked off, but... Maybe I was. Maybe I would admit that I was, I was just kind of, I was ticked off. I was having a pity party um, for myself and, um, and all of that. You, you know what I'm talking about, at least one or two of you do. And so I was expressing my heart to Carrie about this, and I should have known better. Some of you have spouses that just affirm everything that you do and say, and it doesn't matter, and they never challenge you. I don't have one of those. I have a spouse that will say, you are wrong. And um, so that's basically what she said. She says, you need to let go of this and trust God. And then she used the word relax. So when I'm preparing this message, I thought about that word relax. You need to rest. You need to relax on this. And I knew that she was right, but I didn't want to admit it. <laughs> Not to her face. <laughs> and uh, 
I didn't want to admit that I was overreacting, so I resisted what she had to say at the moment, but as I, as I thought about it, two, two thoughts jumped to my mind. Number one, she was right. <laughs> and number two, my fretting wasn't doing anything to help the situation. Nothing. And so, since that day, I have been relaxing. And she says to me, so when are you going to get up off the couch and quit relaxing and start? (laughs) (laughs) No, she didn't really ever say that. Um, You know, I was thinking about really relaxing is the ultimate act of trust in God. When you rest, when you relax, you're saying, God, I'm turning this over to you. Now, if you really believe that God is aware of the details of your life and that he is moving in your life, he will not allow anything to happen that isn't for your ultimate good, then you can relax. Proverbs 14.30 says, peace of mind makes the body healthy. I, I like the way the New Living puts it, a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. I would imagine that there are some of you here today who need to do what I did last week. I I applaud you for being here, even though you're stressed and maybe ticked off. I wasn't ticked off at God. I was ticked off at the circumstance. Um, and And maybe you're ticked off at the circumstance too, or at a person, I don't know. And you just, you just don't have any peace. Maybe you need to do what I did. And you need to right now commit that situation to God so that he can give you a peaceful mind that will lead to a healthy body. Because if the, the opposite of that is also true, what you see up there. In fact, if I was to read you the rest of the, of the verse, I don't have it memorized, but it's something to the effect that it, when, you're at, when you're highly stressed, it becomes like a cancer to you. Now, I don't know if that's God saying it causes cancer. I don't know how that works out, but I'm just saying that when we are stressed, we are unhealthy. I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.